Good morning. There we go. Well, Charlotte and I, on Friday? Friday morning, we added our sixth grandchild. It's the best. Those kind of things will get you through any trouble, any trials. Just have a grandkid. So, and then the opportunities God's giving us, again, I've said this before, but this whole pandemic thing and has been both exhilarating and exhausting. But what God is doing is absolutely incredible. And sometimes, as with Moses, there's this crisis that comes along and is exactly what God ordered for him and for us. So I want to talk this morning about when God prepares a person from we're looking at Exodus 2 and 3. We're kind of overlapping these chapters, last week 1 and 2. But as we read the word, I'd like for us to stand as they did Nehemiah in, in those, during those days in honor of God's word. God said he exalts his word above his name. And we are so privileged to have an abundance of the word of God. We can have all kinds of Bibles, but the question is not do we have Bibles, does the Bible have us? And so when we get going through the word, it's very simple, it's not complicated. We're going to go through the Word and let God speak to us and have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Amen? So in Exodus chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. And the man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Lord, we are standing in your presence all the time. Where can we go? Lord, you're everywhere. Lord, this morning, we're asking, be present among us, walk among us, minister to us of your truths from this passage. I pray the things that I prepared, you break them fresh. Feed us, Lord, we are hungry. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't want to miss that, Lord. We don't want to miss it. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come, bless this time. Lord, we also are praying for anyone who does not know you, has never had a relationship with you, has heard about you, has talked about you, but never known you. Lord, we know that that's your work by your Holy Spirit to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. We understand, Lord, that work of salvation, you drawing us to you in, in repentance and faith is a work that we are simply heralds of, messengers of, and your word and the gospel as it goes out is not just for us who are believers, but for those who have yet to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I would say, please do it this morning. Here, watching online, do it. Draw them to you 
through the truth that's shared, in only, in only those things that only you can do. Please bless this time in the word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So if you did not hear last week's in, in, introductory study, I hope that you'll find time to do that because I could go over the same stuff for, four, for five or six weeks, no problem. And so the key verses in Exodus are Exodus 6, 6, and 7, and then Exodus 19, 3 through 6. These outline the book, and here's the outline. Simply, Exodus 1 through 2, I will take you as my people. I will be your God. This is such fantastic stuff we looked at last week, and we'll be continuing to look at it as we go through this book. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, he said, first of all, you'll be a special people. But then in 25 through 40, you shall be to me, notice, to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Fantastic thing. So last week, we looked briefly at when God prepares a people. He was preparing them for their inheritance. That is what he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's preparing them for that. He's preparing them to be his instruments to reach the world. So that's his purpose for the nation. And then finally, he's, he's preparing them for what I call the incarnation yet to come, but pictured in the tabernacle that he gave them, his presence in the center of the nation. That's what God's aim is. Would you say that you're, I hope that you're praying that that's what happens in our nation? God is become, again, becomes central to our very nation's life. That's what it was to be, not only physically as he prepared the, the tabernacle and everyone was around it, but spiritually, the picture there is that God desires to be central in everything that goes on in our lives individually, our lives as a family, families, and our nation. May God be able, in some manner, answer our prayers. Yesterday in our hour of prayer, every, it seems every Saturday, there's, an, there's a, a real passion God, would you heal our nation? Would you turn us back to you? Now, it's happening to us just like it happened to Israel. And they had everything there, and yet they forgot God. They forgot him. And they went their way. So may the Lord draw us to himself. That's our prayer. So this morning, as we continue this thought from last week, I want to look at when God prepares a person. So verse 11 Continuing in Exodus, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren, looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. We looked at this last week, but let me read it again. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now Stephen's commentary in the book of Acts chapter 7, he said, Moses supposed that his brethren would understand he came to deliver them, and they didn't. So the question last week that will continue now as God prepares Moses, was this a big mistake? Did Moses make a huge mistake that ruined the, the final 80 years of his life? If you were to ask that, he said, no way. We'll look at that in a moment. So he looked this way and that way, and people would say, but he never looked up. I'm saying, like I said last week to continue, 
He may not have looked up, but God was looking down. God was looking at the man that he had chosen, unbeknownst to Moses, although he knew somewhat of it, to work in his life to prepare him for the work that he had for him. So God prepares a person to call a person to do his work in his time and in his way. That's what's going on. God prepares a person to call a person to do his work in his time and in his way. God is changing the course of Moses' life again. Again. It begins with a major crisis in his life. Now, how many of you like to look at crises as God's direction? I don't hear any answers. Yeah. <laughs> he is changing the course, not only of Moses' life, but of the, of the history of the world in his plans to redeem for himself a people. So verse 16, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came and drew water and they filled the troughs to water with their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them. His character is crazy. And watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, now How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah his daughter, which means little bird. He gave his little bird to, to Moses, and she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. He had a second son with her, Eliezer, whose God is my help. So it says Moses was content. This seems to say that Moses came to terms with what had just happened in his life. He came to terms as best he could with what happened. He accepted his circumstances, and now he's raising a family. There's a certain settling down that's happened now for Moses. Now, this is dramatic in what happened to him. But I think in his mind, in his heart, he's saying, this is not my home. Because he names his son Gershom a stranger in a foreign land. This is not where I belong. But here I am. And many times as God is changing course, that surfaces, this foreignness of life, this foreignness of where we're dwelling, these things that are going on that have happened, and God's got our attention a little bit more, and we realize this isn't where I belong. That's a good thing. Crisis in God's hands is Christ in our hearts. He begins to work in such a way. So Moses wonders... While God works. How many of you wonder while God works? He ponders while God prepares. How many of you ponder these things? I thought of Mary and it says, and all those who heard it marvel. They heard about the shepherds say, hey, this, this person's born. This, this Christ is born. The shepherds are declaring the birth of Christ. And it says, and all those who heard it marveled at, at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, look at this. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. There's a beauty to pondering. I don't know what's going on, but I know who's in charge. I know who has put something on my heart that I don't quite understand completely. 
It's a wonderful thing. And Moses, or Mary kept all these things and pondered them. She thought about them in the context of the God who spoke to her. So Moses was a great, great man. But Moses was not ready for God's ultimate calling in his life. He's in preparation stage. He obviously knew what God had already allowed in his life. But it wasn't quite making sense to him at this point, except, which we're given in Hebrews, except by his faith in God. You see, when we're founded and grounded in our faith, things may not make sense. We may not understand why and what, but we know who is in charge. It's God. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. He had godly parents. Amron, his dad, and Jochebed, his mom, who had a deep faith in God. And they saw this son special, obviously, to them. But in their minds, there's something more about this birth in their minds, being for God's purposes. And so their faith was not presumptuous. It was grounded in reality. They hid him as long as they could, but they realized someday he's going to cry. And when he cries and the Egyptian shoulders, soldiers hear it, they're going to kill him. So what, is she, what do they do? They put it in this little, I mean, can you imagine being the mom, taking your child, pitching the thing and putting him in there and then closing it and then letting it sail? And having her daughter watch? I mean, it's incredible. But let me say, that's the act of their faith in God. So they sail him down. And at some point, this crying might have been heard, but at this point, in their faith in God, puts him, and who hears the crying of the child? The daughter of Pharaoh. And what happens? She has compassion, of course. And God's plans are moving forward. And so his birth mom, this is incredible. This is God. His birth mom, will actually be nursing her own son for at least six months, maybe as long as four years in the process. She's getting paid to do it. Moms, would you like that? I know every mom in this room could care less if they got a dime for nursing their child. The thing that gets me here, what's paramount in the parent's mind, we've got to put ourselves there this morning, is what they know is going to happen when their son is given back to Pharaoh. Let that permeate. You see, that's true of every single child that comes into this world. At some point, they're now out of our hands. At some point, they're in the world. And they knew that in Pharaoh's palace, that imp the impact that that would have on Moses was going to be huge. No question. May I say to you, you know it, I know it well. The impact that the world is going to have on our children is going to be huge. We live in a fallen world. We live in a satanically governed world. And Satan is out to destroy your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. He's got it planned out. He's cunning and crafty. 
So when it starts, when the child lands in your lap, in your home, you got to give that a lot of thought. What am I doing? What's the important things here? Jacob and his mom means God's glory. She has a deep faith in God. And I believe that whether it was six months or four plus years, when she had him and was nursing him, and there he is on her lap, she is telling him all about her God. Minute in, minute out. We're going to talk about God. We're going to sing about God. We're going to tell, I'm going to build into your little mind, even at six months or four years, I'm going to build into your little mind the things about my God because you're going to need him. And he's calling you, my little Moses, he's calling you into relationship with himself to know him and walk with him and understand the beauty and power that comes in knowing God. Now, parents, I know you're tired. There's no question about that. We're now living with our son and our three grandsons. We're hard to do anything, and we're tired. And the things of this thing called family and parenting are going to be tiring. But let me say this to you. If you're not tired in ministering the word of God to your children and staying at it and staying with it and giving all you have to make sure you're building into your, your children, your grandchildren, the things about God and relationship with him and worshiping him and singing to him and reading his word. If you're not doing let me tell you, later on in life, you're going to be worn out in dealing with the things now that have crept in. You don't want that. Other, you know, the, Proverbs, raise up a child, train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, you will not depart from it. That's not a promise. Those are principles. And if you are doing that, you're stacking the deck against the world, against Satan, and for them and for God in the mind. And know, know this, the cunning craftiness of Satan is he knows the battle is for the mind of our children. What they're thinking, how they're processing. And you know as well as I do, there's a whole system that's aligned against the thinking truth and thinking God and believing God. It's out to destroy and undermine any even essence or sense of the presence of God. Don't presume anything, mom and dad. Don't presume it's going to... Listen, you know what I do. I'm preaching... In one sense, but I believe God is in his heart is saying, do it. Stay at it. And it doesn't end at 18. It doesn't. It continues to build, build, build. I believe our children need us more when they're in their teens than they did when they were younger. Don't presume anything. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Central. But they say it all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. That's where it starts. It's in your heart. Because if it's not in your heart, it's not going to be in theirs. 
You shall what? Teach them how? Diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That is non-conflict times. Well, you know what the Bible says? No, no. All the time. You're walking, you're sleeping, you're laying down. We're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about the Word of God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. In other words, you can't forget these things. Keep them right there and right there. Now, I'm not saying you put a little thing up there, but that's what they used to do. It's so important. So everything you're doing, you're realizing the Word of God. Everything you're looking at, you realize the Word of God. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, all over the place with the word of God. Don't presume anything. Now, in October, there's a Stand to Reason Reality Conference coming. I don't know if you've heard of that yet. We're going to be mentioning it here. It's about a month away or so. It's going to be in at Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Friday and Saturday, October 15th and 16th. Put that down. We've got 60 or so tickets already that we're, we're going. This is mainly for our children in their teen years, but it's talking about apologetics and applying truth to the realities of life for our young people, but it's also for us parents. And it, I, would, I hope a lot of us will be there seeing that. But then you've got our tutoring station. These are... Shameless plugs, okay? Our tutoring program, which is going to be starting, we need tutors. We have some. We need as many. We have some children that are coming from that school right over there. They're going to come across. We're going to bust them over. They're going to be with one adult two times a week doing math and reading. And in the context, and they know this, because Sharon, Sharon has done a wonderful job in getting us ready. You've heard about it, but I'm, here I am, shameless plug. And so we get to talk to them about God in the context of their education. And they know that. It's blatantly Christian. Can you say amen? We're going to tell them about God. We're going to tell them about all that stuff. And we have that opportunity starting in September, going through December. So if, you're, if you don't know what to do, you have some, and I would speak a lot to you grandmas, grandpas. Charlotte's going to be doing that. Hey, you get a little, little life. I love what Sharon shared last week. She said, it's, been, it's a fact, a study fact, that one adult in a child's life can change the course of their whole life. One caring adult. A lot of these children are from broken homes. Junior high, senior high, children's ministry. There's all areas where we can be doing the things that God's called us to do with these younger generations to see them rise, as it were as men and women of God, and be done with the things of the world, and be done with these things that are derailing so many lives and causing so much heartache and pain like we've never seen it before. Now, the commentary on Moses' faith in God continues in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God to, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt. So Moses there is making a choice. He looked at the best the world had to offer. And then he compared that to the worst that God had to offer. And he chose the worst that God had to offer as more valuable than the best the world had to offer. That is always the right choice. 
What the world offers is emptiness, purposelessness. If we could ask Moses again, hey, do you think you made the right choice? He said, you bet I did. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, God's people are difficult. <laughs> he had these arguments with God all the time. Well, they're your people. God said, no, they're your people. When he changes, no. We, you choose the worst that God has to offer you, and it's superior to the best the world can possibly even offer you. So if Hebrews again, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. How did he endure it? As seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So God, he believed God in protecting him. He believed God in providing for him. He believed God in being present with him and the power of God. He saw all the things. How? By faith. And he kept going and believing God and putting his life and bank in God. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. God redeemed them and saved them. Because Moses put his faith in them. So this morning when God prepares a person, God prepares a person to call a person to do his work in his time and in his way. And that's what God is doing with every life that's sitting here in this room or watching. He is preparing you for the work that he has. You see, what God is doing is not what God has done. God has completed some work, but he's, what he's doing is in the now and God is always ahead of us in all that he's doing. So 40 years of being raised in the best world I'd offer, he was a somebody in the world, Moses. 40 years, three of them. The next 40 years, being relegated to the backside of the desert, a nobody in the world. <laughs> I remember this passage, it says in Romans, you know, the revealing of the sons of God. He talks about that. We're waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. So my pastor, Pastor Chuck Smith, was teaching that. I remember this is what happened yesterday. And he's teaching this passage in Romans. They're waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And when he was in seminar, he said, you know, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, that's me. The world's just waiting for me. <laughs> revealing the sons of God. That's not what he's talking about, but that's what uh, can be. And so I remember this. It's, it's just so poignant to me. He said, I thought the whole world was waiting for me. And then he has this pause and he goes, nobody was waiting for me. Nobody. And that's what we learn. That's a great thing to realize that God chooses us to use us, not because we're great us. But it's because of his grace in us. Forty years of having been readied by God, this is what God does. God takes a nobody and makes him his somebody. That's what I want. I want to be his somebody. It doesn't matter if no one else, I belong to God. Do you have that in the center of your heart? God is preparing you for work that he has for you. Forgetting those things behind. God has done a lot of things in your life, but God's not done with you yet. That's why you're sitting here today. That's why you're still alive. God's preparing you to do a work in his timing and in his way. So the first 40 years, he's schooled the best the world had to offer. And it says in Acts chapter 7, again, Stephen's sermon, which you've got to read Acts 7. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. He was a great man. Don't forget that. He was a powerful man. He was second in 
to, in the Egypt, to the Egyptian throne. Mighty in words and deed. So J. Vernon McGee wrote this. Egyptian wisdom is not despised even in our day. They had developed mathematics, chemistry, engineering, architecture, and astronomy to a very remarkable place. Look at the pyramids. In the tombs, there are remarkable colors that have lasted through centuries. They understand embalming like we still don't. They had calculated the distance from the sun. Theirs was a highly developed society, unquote. That's Moses. He had the best education going. If we could have seen and known Moses, we probably would say something. If God would only save him. He could be such a powerful instrument for God. The man's incredible. Just think how God could use him. May I say to you, this is a worldly perspective on God's choice and preparation of a person. And I believe it's dangerous. It can ruin a person. That's why God is not in a hurry. He chooses 40 years for Moses, another 40 years for Moses. Finally, after at 80, God's not going to call him to what he called him initially his, his main calling. I fear for these young leaders who are jettisoned to the forefront because of their charisma, their visible appeal, sometimes just one sermon. without having been time-tested and character confirmed. So important. Paul, in writing to his young protege, Timothy, said, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. But he says, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony on those who are outside, lest he fall, and he says twice, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. It's dangerous. The devil is lurking to take advantage of our pride. He's all over the pride of selfish ambition and conceit. He's all over that. Proverbs, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be of a humble spirit with a lowly than to divide the spoil with the precious. When, you, when your pride wins, you lose. That's what happens. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble spirit will, remain, will retain honor. First Corinthians, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And who, what do you have but what you did not receive? Now, if you did, not, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast if you had not received it? We've got to be, get back to reality in our perspective on how God sees us and sees these things. Second Corinthians, lest I, this is Paul. <laughs> he said, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. God had given so much to Paul, Saul of Tarsus. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. Notice, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul was thankful for those things. So all Moses' schooling did not prepare him for doing God's work in God's way. 
First Corinthians, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen, notice, the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God, has, it's not what I choose, it's God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. This is amazing, but isn't that hopeful? Because when we really get down, we realize that's me, foolish, weak. If I'm really honest, and that's what God does in, the, in those in those times when he's preparing, he's giving us a reality check all along the way. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are, that no, there it is, that no flesh should glory in his sight. God will use all these things in calling us to serve him. God was with Moses the whole time he's in Pharaoh's court. Fantastic. All the things that God has been doing in your life are for God's purposes when he calls you to serve him. Is there something wrong with being in Pharaoh's court, learning these things? Not at all. Are there anything wrong with degrees? Not at all. Diplomas? Not at all. Education? Not at all. We need those things. And God gives us these things and we don't even realize growing up what's being built into our lives that God's going to use. But he uses it. Paul the Apostle. Saul of Tarsus. Schooled. We're talking about highly educated Jewish rabbi. That God saves and then begins to then pour into his life. But he had to take him aside for 14 years and train him and equip him and talk him three years and 14. And Saul of Tarsus needed God's away time, the desert time, to prepare him for what God had for him. And he came in great humility and brokenness and realized, I'm the chief of sinners. I persecuted God, the church of God and wasted it, tore it like an ass. He hated the church and he realized God chose me. And, you know, again, that song, it's the top of the list right now. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so good to me. And I'm going to sing with as much as I'm able the goodness of God. It's that place where you realize God chose me. God's using me. God's giving me six grandkids. Give me a family. I mean, the things that God does for us needs to extend our hearts and hands and eyes and mouth in worshiping him. See, you are so, so good. All the way through. See, what God wants to do in preparing you is take hold of your heart. Just to get a hold of you. And allow him to shape your life. The second 40 years, Moses in the desert, he's a nobody. When he was grown, he tried to do the work of God in the flesh. Kill the Egyptian. God said, hold on a second, Mo. Hey, Mo. (laughs) 40 years. The backside of the desert between two verses. He began to try to do the work of God in the flesh. So take heart often. God's greatest turning point is failure. Something happens and you think it's the end of the world. And God says, no, it's the beginning of a life with me in the world. A new direction. It might be you're leaving everything you're familiar with. You know, what's going on? God's wanting to move in your life. 
to where he's wanting you to be for the calling he has in your life. Listen, this is a big one. Many times it comes with a lot of loneliness, even despair. Could it be that you're on the verge of God doing one of the greatest, deepest works in your life that you could have ever imagined? Look through the Bible. It's replete with with stories of failure and loneliness and despair. Read the Psalms, which we're going to do responsive reading in a moment. In the desert, Moses was prepared for his greatest work. There was there in the desert solitude. Oh, how we need solitude. There's times now for reflection. I can imagine Moses after maybe a couple of months ago, man, this is great. I have to worry about what the Egyptian courts are thinking, what Pharaoh's thinking. I'm, I'm just, man, I'm, this is, I don't know. But I'll tell you, he's going, this is not what I planned. It's not what I was thinking. But his faith in God, I think, was anchoring him with some tether to a hope that's beyond what he could even think of at this point in his life. So whatever plans you have, hold them loosely. Let God change that as he would bring you in great humility and brokenness through it. And then you have these lasting 40 years. He's called, taking a nobody and God making him his somebody in the world or to the world. So between verse 22 and 23, there are 40 years. And now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, verse 23. Then children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. They groaned. They're now ready for deliverance. They're, they're groaning. It says they cried. It doesn't say they cried out to God, but that would seem to be what happened. They're crying, God, what's going on? What's happening? It's getting, it's bad. The time has come now. 80 years into his life, and Moses is going to be revealed. God's going to reveal himself as we read. We'll get this next week. So the groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, his Isaac, and Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel, acknowledged them. Now Moses was tending the flock, chapter 3. And here's Moses. He's out tending the flock. It's been 40 years. This is okay. I know all these sheep by name. They're not my flock, but I'm, I'm content. I'm going about it. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will turn aside now. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. The lasting 40 years where God took a nobody and began to shape him as his somebody. Do you long for those moments? You turn aside, you realize there's something going on here and God's speaking to your mind and to your heart. And you go, here I am. Here I am. Is this another upheaval in his life of seismic proportion? The calling of God on Moses' life will shake the history of the world. So just some verses I'm going to tie into. When God prepares a person to call a person to do his work in his time and his way, in his great understanding, 
His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways are higher than your ways, and his thoughts higher than your thoughts. When God prepares a person to call him, in his great goodness, he causes all things to work together for good. When God prepares a person to call a person, in his great wisdom, his choices seem foolish to the world. When God prepares a person to call a person, in his great wisdom, his cho- excuse me, in his great patience, he takes his time. Because all things are for your sake. I go, ugh. Why does it have to take so long? Why does it have to? Patience is a great character trait. In his great promise, he who began a good work in you will complete it but he hasn't yet. In his great grace, he has called you with a holy calling according to his own purpose. In his great mercy, he saved you through the washing and regeneration of the word of the Holy Spirit. He poured out you abundantly through Jesus Christ, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're heirs. He's preparing us for this inheritance. When God prepares a person to call a person in his great love, Hebrews, he will make you complete in every good work. He will work in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. God prepares a person to call a person to do his work in his time and his way. I say, Lord, have at it. Someone said one time we should have a sign around our, you know, front and back. Be patient. God's at work. So would you stand? I'd like to close. This is the only psalm that is attributed to Moses in the book of Psalms. I'd like to do a responsive reading of this. And then we'll close with a worship song and I'll come up and close us. So our worship team can come out. So I'm going to read the first and odd verses. You respond with the second and even verses. When we get to verse 17, I want to join you. Or you're going to join me, I guess. Yeah. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Can I just comment on that a minute? That everlasting everlasting means from vanishing point to vanishing point. So think as far back as you can about God. He's way beyond that. Think as far forward as you can. He's way beyond that. Okay, I won't comment anymore, okay? You turn man to destruction, say, return, O children of men. You carry them away like a flood. They are like a sleep. In the morning, they are like grass which grows up. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh.
who knows the power of your anger. For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Return, O Lord, how long? And have compassion on your servants. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. All together. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.